The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Welcome to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, your host. We're here on Kixi AM 880. And then we're also on KKNW 1150 AM. And uh, before we jump into the show, I just wanted to make this offer. Let's make a deal. (laughs) Um, And it is the Tacoma Rainiers game tonight at 6.05 p.m., I have two tickets available for anybody who could go. I know it's late notice, but if you're in Tacoma and close and it's a beautiful evening, you may want to take me up on this. So the first person to call, 425-653-1166, will get the tickets. That's 425-653-1166. A little detail. The game starts at 605 it will, you would pick up the tickets at will call. It would be complimentary parking, and there's um, a complimentary dinner that you can you will have access again to the box seats, complimentary beverages, the whole thing. So anyhow, that number is four two five six five three eleven sixty six. And anybody who's gone to these games so far has just come back and said what a wonderful time that they've had. And Eric, you've yep. been to games there. A hundred percent. And, uh, you know, you'd mentioned tonight's game, the weather's perfect for it. Um, and those seats are amazing. So you're going to feel you're going to be in baseball heaven down there. Sure thing. And, uh, I'm going to give the number one more time, 425-653-1166. So Eric, let's move on to your interview at the end of the show today. Yeah. It's a great one. So people have got to stick around for this one, your, your spotlight for today. Well, speaking of the Rainiers, the Tacoma area, just north of there, across Highway 16 there over the bridge, is, of course, Gig Harbor. And uh, there's lots going on out there. That's sort of the gateway, if you will, to the peninsula. And so I had a chance to sit down with Vince Dice. He's the editor of Gig Harbor Now. Uh, we talked sort of about what's going on in the industry, the print industry specifically, um, and then what are newspapers doing differently to survive? And a lot of it is local, and a lot of it is using technology. So it's just sort of a, a, an insider's look at how a company like Gig Harbor Now is surviving and thriving in what has become a digital age, right? Certainly has, and a lot of local coverage is on life support. Mm-hmm. And uh, to have this story, and it's all been so negative with the newspapers dying, mm-hmm. local newspapers mm-hmm. and things, and then to see this occur locally, and I mean locally in Gig Harbor, and I've gone to the sites. It's a really nice done job, and it's doing what yeah. it's supposed to do, and that's cover local news. Well, you're right, and you'll find out from the interview that those that are behind the operation, they're veterans, you know, and they're super creative. They're good at what they do, and like you say, local, local, local. That's what it's about. Certainly need that. As Tip O'Neill famously said, all politics is local. I was, I was trying to reach for that in my head. I forgot about the Tip O'Neill. Yep, That was him. Uh, Michael Thompson, he's the, speaking of the Tacoma Rainiers, he's the chief executive officer, and I'm going to talk to him today about what it's like to be an owner of a team. He's got a background. I'm going to give more of his background in just a few moments, so I won't go into details right now. But he's just going to talk about that. 
and uh, what it's like running a baseball team. Simply put. That's going to be interesting. Voices of History Today. In 1953, an iconic automobile rolled off the assembly line that would change the way Americans would view driving forever. So think about that would be. That's 70 years ago. Okay. 1953, and I'm a car nut. Yeah, I'm going to need some time on this, but I might get it. Okay. You know, I'm glad I just, everybody's not jumping out going, I know that. Yeah, no, this is a tough one. one. Yeah, 53. This may be a challenge one, too, for the Timeless Classic today, and that is think Jamaica and think the year 1977. Jamaica in 77. Hmm, Okay. Self-employment quiz, I talk about that in terms of going into business for yourself. I developed this several years ago, and I want to go over some of the questions in the self-employment quiz to just get people thinking about going into businesses and the kind of questions that I believe they should ask themselves before they decide to take that big step. And I know a lot of people are thinking about that right now because of so many things that are changing, but uh, I just read in Entrepreneur Magazine that really this is a renaissance of going into business for yourself. I love it, and I've been reading articles of the Gen Zers that are going into business for themselves using things like TikTok, using things like other social media to become influencers and to promote products and things like that, and, and it's so creative. They're doing things that I wouldn't even know how to do with, with the technology, but the spirit is the same, right, Paul? It doesn't matter if you're back there in the 30s, the 1930s, or Absolutely. today. That, that entrepreneurial spirit's alive. Right. Absolutely. So let's get on with that in just a moment, and we'll come back with my interview with Michael Thompson in just a moment. Okay, Michael Thompson. I did this interview with him just about a week ago, and uh, he led a group of local investors in 2011 that purchased the Tacoma Rainiers, the AAA affiliate to the Seattle Mariners. Now, he's the chairman and CEO of the team. To be totally transparent, I am an investor myself in the Tacoma Rainiers and a part owner. So just to let you know that, Michael and I went to college together very, very long time ago. But uh, it's been interesting to watch his career. He spent more than 20 years in the wireless industry. Macaw Communications co-founded Pacific Northwest Cellular. He became the chief operating officer of Western Wireless. I could go on and on. We take up the show with his background, so I'm going to leave it at that. He, as I mentioned, is a graduate of Washington State University. He has a wife and two sons. So let's pick up my interview with Michael Thompson. Now, years later, buying into a professional baseball team, AAA, Tacoma Rainiers, what's it like now that you look back and what you thought you knew about getting into a team and buying a team, and what's it like now? Well, I mean, the good news was that I had a couple of experiences that allowed me to kind of know what I was getting in, into. I had been a part owner of the Seattle Sonics and so I had had experience with that. I, I was on the, the board of the Sonics for, for several years. And so I, I got an idea of what owning a professional sports franchise was about, uh, even though I didn't have control of that by any stretch. And then I became part owner of a 
Woodbat College Summer League team in Walla Walla about two years before the opportunity in Tacoma came along. And I got to know the ins and outs of running a baseball team through that. And while I was, again, not a a majority owner by any stretch, it allowed me to watch from a very close vantage point and learn about it. So when we bought the team, there was a steep learning curve, but I started at a, at a higher level than I would have otherwise. You grew up very close to Cheney Stadium, and you, I understand, were like going to the games in their first year, like at three or four years old. Now, did you ever dream at some point that you would be one of the top owners of this team? Certainly not at that time. I mean, my my dad, the, the family lore is, and I don't remember this, but the family lore is that my dad took me to the first game in Cheney Stadium in 1960 when I was three. I turned four a month later, but uh, um, it was, I, I was clearly there very early on and um, I grew up going to games. I have a brother who's a year younger than I was and my mom would drop us off at the uh, at the stadium and we would go have a great time and my dad who was a pharmacist would get off work at nine o'clock and come out and and watch the last couple of innings of the game with us and and uh, then take us home. So it was a big part of of what we did growing up and uh, loved Cheney Stadium, loved the whole Tacoma baseball experience. And uh, I did kick the tires once in oh probably ten years before we we had the opportunity. I, I heard that the thing was for sale and we I looked at some financials. But I was I was um, president and, and chief operating officer of a public company at that time, and I just didn't have the time to put that together. Had a couple young young sons as well at that point, and and um, didn't have the time to to put into it. So didn't pursue it at that time. The opportunity came along in in 2010, and. I, you know, we had we had sold the companies. We were um, uh, we were doing some things, but this was a uh, this was a fun opportunity, and uh, we spent six months finding people to help us finance it, both banks and and uh, equity players, and it uh, it was a great opportunity. It was a lot of fun, and you know, here it is, you know, twelve years later, and it's still a lot of fun. Did you approach the group that wanting to purchase it from? I understand they were out of Texas or something. And do I remember that right? The previous owners of the yeah. Tacoma Rainiers. Did you approach them and then say, I'm interested in, in buying the team? Or did you know that they were interested in selling? How did that go? Aaron Artman, who is our, our president and uh, general manager of the club, was asked to help find owners, particularly local owners. And... He called John Stanton, who's my business partner up here, and said, um, John, would you be interested in buying the uh, the team? And knowing that John was, a, at that point, a minority owner of the, uh, of the uh, Mariners. And John said, well, I don't have an interest, but um, I think I might know somebody who does. And he walked the phone down to my office, three offices down from his, and said, Michael, here's a guy named Aaron Artman who's selling the Tacoma Rainiers. Would you like to talk to him? And um, uh, that was how I got introduced to, to the process. 
Interesting. So how was it like going from that point? I mean, I observed you working the phones, and it seemed like it was a really big effort to pull everybody together. It took a lot out of you, I thought, at the time. I spent a lot of time doing it. I was really lucky that I I was um, uh, in the process of, of hiring a guy to help help me on a financial side <clears throat> with some personal things and um, I got him hired he was a uh, he was a cougar and and um, had known him when he was a student over at WSU and the first question I asked him after he uh, he joined our team here was uh, so what do you know about baseball and um, he was a football fan but uh, quickly became a baseball fan after that and uh, he spent a good portion of the first six months of his uh, his tenure with me helping to uh, to both find equity uh, members and also get get a fairly good sized uh, bank loan put together that's Isaac Wells we're talking Isaac about. Wells exactly all right so now you took over the team and now looking back and where you're at right now what did you or do you know now that you didn't know then well, the best thing that happened was the guy that I mentioned earlier, Aaron Artman, who was the uh, president and general manager of the uh, of the baseball team at that time, wanted to stay on, and he is a great baseball guy. He is, um, you know, he's he's in his mid forties at this point, but he has been uh, largely in minor league baseball for most of his career and um, he had relationships he'd been at Tacoma for uh, I think three years before we bought the team he knew a lot of things that enabled us to hit the ground running we put some uh, some accounting and financial pieces in place that has have really helped him let him uh, let him hire a a CFO and um, Who's done a, a great job for for the team, but from a from the standpoint of running a minor league team, putting together the sales and marketing, all of that stuff, Aaron was uh, Aaron was was feet on the ground, and he was uh, he was able to just keep keep improving from uh, from the the basis that he'd already set up. So it's it's been great from that standpoint. How about challenges that you didn't anticipate? Well, there was this little thing in 2020 called a pandemic that hit. It shut down minor league baseball for the entire year. We were obviously not at all prepared for that. We were running at a pretty good profit up till that point. The Mariners had asked us to invest a couple of million dollars in improving the uh, the experience at Cheney Stadium for their players including building a new uh, batting cage and uh, improving the lighting and, and a few other things. We put that in place during the winter between 2019 and 2020. And then two weeks before our season was supposed to start, we learned that the, the whole thing was shut down. And there was no baseball, and so there was no revenue in Tacoma. And uh, we went from making a, a fair profit to losing our shirts in 2020 and then in 2021 we were only able especially in the first three months of the season only able to open the the seating halfway 
the thing that we didn't realize at that point was that Major League Baseball took that opportunity to kind of take over Minor League Baseball. And the folks in Minor League Baseball thought this was a horrible thing that they were going to do terrible things to Minor League Baseball. And in fact, what they did was they professionalized it. And that has done an awful lot to help Minor League Baseball, all teams, including us, do a better job, put out a better product, and frankly, make more money. And um, 2022 was the best year we've ever had financially, and 2023 was uh, is is uh, starting out as, as being even better than 2022. And it was at least in part because of the platform they minor major league baseball gave to us as a much more professional product than what we'd had before so that's michael thompson and he's the again the ceo of the tacoma rainiers and uh, i'm going to have part two of my interview with michael next week and uh, michael is only going to be talking about the baseball aspect of running that organization, Tacoma Rainiers. And so are we on the show. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to talk baseball next week. And that's an honor, of course, of the All-Star Game being played here in Seattle on July 11th. Okay, we do have a winner of the person calling in for the tickets for the Tacoma Rainiers game tonight. Her first name is Linda. I won't give your last name, Linda, because you may not want me to. But I will call you after the show today and go into more details as to how you get those tickets. Congratulations, Linda. I know you're going to enjoy tonight. Hi, Paul. It's Bob Donegan. When I was about six years old, my mom took me to a Tuesday women's matinee game at Milwaukee County Stadium. We sat about 20 rows off the field, and suddenly everybody stood up. There was a foul ball that landed on my seat, and the guy behind us grabbed it. Ernie Banks hit the foul ball. In 1993, I took my six-year-old daughter to a game in the Kingdom. We moved from our seats way out in the right field corner down to the second level behind home. Everybody stood up, and the ball landed on the seat next to Shannon. She still got the ball, and I don't remember who hit it, but we rode on the ball who the hitter was. Baseball, what a great sport. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Well, that was a baseball moment with Bob Donegan, and we're going to have several more of those. But um, just want to let you know, Bob Donegan, he is the president of Ivers, and... Um, Eric, you said you... Oh, I love Ivers. You know, taking the ferry boat so much, I used to just walk, you know, if I miss a ferry, I'd walk down to the Ivers the uh, right there uh, 
what is that, uh, Western? Is that sure. on, on Western or Elliot? No, on Elliot, yeah. Elliot, um, Elliot yeah. and just... And they remodeled that. It's really fabulous. Have they? haven't been there in... It's been a long time because uh, the remodel, it seems to me it was not long ago, but that was before the pandemic, and I hadn't been in there since. Yeah. And I just went there last time for a tour of the waterfront, went in, but they've really remodeled it, done it very nicely. Yeah, very good food, and grab it and go back to the car and eat and wait for a ferry boat and look out at the water. There Pretty you nice go. deal. That right. would be a Alaskan way, I believe. That oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I was all around. <laughs> what did I say? Oh, we said Elliot. It's right on Elliot Bay, so yeah, yeah, yeah right Elliott too. Bay, sure. right. Okay, because I was thinking they were going to build a bridge over to Vashon Island one day. That's what I was thinking. You know that road? Yeah, that it's road, road right. over disappeared. There. That's uh, yeah, whatever. That would be Alaska. Yes. All right, uh, voices of history okay. for today. Here we come. We got to find some background music for this one too. We had some and kind of went away. There we go. There we go. Here it is. Here we go. All right. It kind of sets it up. On June 27th, 1939, one of the most famous scenes in movie history is filmed, if not the most famous. Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hara are parting and Gone with the Wind. There was a scene using an alternative line from the famous one. It was, frankly, my dear, I just don't care. Right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, this was cl- uh, close, but it was the backup in case the film censors objected to the word damn. So they did it two cuts. Okay. All right. The censors approved the movie, said go with it. But when it aired or was screened and, and on the screen went out to the public, they fined the producer, David Selznick, $5,000 for including oh, the curse. It's a lot of money. If then, then, yeah, sure. But. Now think about it for a moment. It was worth the investment, even sure. if it was a hundred thousand dollars, because that is probably the most famous line in movie yeah. history. Yeah, would it be like you know you have some like frankly, dear, I don't give a damn or whatever that, and then yeah. you have of course you know that is one of them that you know. But um, how about you can't handle the truth? Yeah, exactly. Or things like that. There's a bunch of those. No, I am your father. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I still think that is. Probably the one. Yeah, I love lists, and I'm sure some Hollywood type has done the list of the ten top movie lines they have. of all time. And if I'm not, it's mis- got to be in. And there. I'm not mistaken. Eric's going to it right now. See, I yeah. see him go over there right now. He's looking him up. All right, we'll keep rolling. On June 27th, 1985, Route 66 signs are removed. Now, Route 66 stretched from Chicago to Santa Monica, passing through eight states. Most of Route 66 followed a path through the wilderness forged in 1857 by U.S. Lieutenant Edward Beale. At the head of the caravan were camels and wagon trains. Eventually, Route 66 made way for trucks and passenger automobiles, as we all know. Beginning in the 1950s, the building of the interstate highways, though, made older roads like Route 66 obsolete. That's interesting. So the the first vehicle to travel traverse Route 66 was a camel. Yes. <laughs> All right. Did not know that. See, you learn something in this show every, every day. Every you can time we really use what you learn here. On June 28th, 1953, 70 years ago today, workers assemble and they put out the first Corvette. Corvette, mm. yes. That's what I got. Is I actually right? wrote it down. You uh, did? That's yeah. what I was thinking, too. Hold that up again. Was that the first American <laughs> sports car? Uh, 
That's a good question. I certainly of popularity. You know, there yeah. was probably one-offs and small, you know, small small productions. But no, that was just a whirlwind of, yeah. Yeah, and they only spread. produced three hundred Corvettes that entire year. Wow. Which I guess that's almost one a day. But nonetheless, yeah. They, you're right, though, Eric. It was a two-seater uh, sports car. Yep. I didn't know that. Nice. On June twenty-eighth, nineteen ninety-seven, Mike Tyson bites. Evander Holyfield's ear. The attack led to this, the disqualification from the match and a suspension from boxing. I mean, uh, Mike Tyson. On June 29th, 1995, the American Space Shuttle Atlantis docks with the Russian space station Mirror. It formed the largest man-made satellite ever to orbit Earth. The historic moment of cooperation between former rivals was also the 100th human space mission. I think that's interesting. In 1995, we were former rivals, but mm-hmm. now we're back to rivals, I guess, for lack of a better term, yep. than then. So, uh, but 100th mission together. We're like a dysfunctional family, you know, kind of. Yeah, we, <laughs> so we have some good Thanksgivings and they have some real bad ones. <laughs> yeah, you go to your corner. You go to the corner, you know, it's go back a, to been Russia. A bad year. <laughs> yeah, get out of Western Europe. Um, on June 23rd, the Alaskan Yukon. Pacific Exposition opened in Seattle, 1909, our first World's Fair. Six cars left New York in the transcontinental auto race. 23 days later, the first car crossed the finish line, Henry Ford's Model T, which entered into production just a few minutes before that, but it was disqualified. Mm -hmm. I didn't get into all the details about why, but Ford got all the publicity he needed to make it the most popular selling car of that era. So sure. we got Seattle to thank for Ford cars. Never knew that. Yeah. Um, that is courtesy of This Day in History, a nonprofit uh, site that you can look for and get all history of this Northwest and Washington State. And the first part of it, of course, is from History Link, which we read every week. So it's so nice to uh, be able to have those two organizations and, and provide so much educational information for the show. I thank both of uh, History Link and the History Channel. And I'm looking at the American Film Institute or AFI's list of the top 100 movie quotes of all time. And you're right. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn is number one. But can you guess number two? You can't Uh, handle the truth. I'll go with that. It can't handle the truth. Um, I'm going to say... It's part of that speech in Casablanca where he says, uh, we don't know our problems. No. 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 (laughs) I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Of course. From The Godfather, number two. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. (laughs) That was was a great voice of history. Nice job, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, any any others? Yeah, well, Marlon Brando at at number two and number three because he's, you don't understand, I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am (laughs) from on the waterfront. That is such a powerful scene, too. Yeah. Oh, man. I only saw that movie maybe three or four years ago. I never really watched it and saw it, but... uh, that was a really yeah, fabulous movie, of course. One more. One more. Toto? <laughs> I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. From The Wizard oh, of Oz. I would have number thought, four. now that you mentioned it, I think that would have been number two. Yeah. Because, yeah, we're not, how many often do we see And that? number five is, here's looking at you, kid, here's from Casablanca. Yeah, okay, All right, got it. There you go. All right, those are fun.
Well, you had a lot of cars in this one, so I want to just tell you something real quick that happened Please. over the weekend. Went to the LeMay Car Museum, highly recommend it down there in Tacoma. Gorgeous view of the city skyline from there, but the cars inside, amazing. One of the cars, local, of course, it was, an, I believe, an older Lincoln. It was the very first car to go over the original Tacoma Narrows Bridge, and it was also the very first car to go over the second bridge that they built. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? So it that has to be cool. a, a, probably a local family of prominence that is in the Tacoma area that got to do that. Yeah, I've been to that car museum, and I'm not a car person mm-hmm. per se. I'm just not, but I thought it was fabulous. I would go back there because the shape of those cars, and it goes back to, what, 1905, some of those vehicles? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. Way I, back. You know, Not for being a, a car individual myself. I really enjoyed it. So it's for everybody. I mean, yeah. seriously, it, it was very nice to see. Have you been there many times? Or? This was my second time, uh, but to see it through the eyes of my father-in-law, who's 90, it was his 90th birthday, okay. and to have him, the reason we did it was he bought a, a Porsche Speedster sports car right off of the uh, floor in Stuttgart at the uh, factory itself. He was in the Army, brought it home in the 50s. And so they were having a Porsche portion of the, it was a Porsche, uh, is it Porsche or Porsche? I'm not sure. But uh, they were having an exhibit. The car was there, you know, that Year sure. was there. He wow. loved it. That'd be cool. So um, let's just roll in um, music, and we're going to roll into our next section in just a few moments. My name is Mike Kelly. And my favorite baseball memory goes back to April 11, 1969, and the Chicago White Sox were playing the Seattle Pilots at Sixth Stadium. I was 10 years old, and I got out of school to go see the game, and it was the first Major League Baseball game in the city of Seattle. So there you go. That's Michael Kelly. He lives across the street from me. Hard to beat that And uh, I was at that game, too, uh, the Pilots, on April 11, 1969. Got out of school, and it was a beautiful day like this in April. It was 70-plus degrees, mm. and I remember the score, 7-0. The Pilots beat the Chicago White Sox. The other thing is that they were working on Six Stadium right up to the first pitch, and you could hear the hammering and, and the <laughs> jackhammers going on top of the roof, and the first pitch comes, they stop, Game gets over, bah, 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 but they're back doing it. It was a crazy time. And I'm going to have an interview with an individual, Rick Allen, who wrote a book about the pilots, and it is incredible uh, about that team. It, it's one of those teams that actually grow in many ways to baseball buffs every year and more, mm-hmm. I'd say popularity, but just looking back how incredible that time was, that one-year wonder team. And there was so much involved with it. I mean, Jim Bouton wrote the book Ball Four. And that changed baseball, how people looked at baseball, Mm. because he blew the lid off the famous players and the ones that were just held in the the shrine. These are people, and this is the kind of things that they did. Mm. And baseball didn't like Jim Bouton at all. Oh, I'm sure. Book is ball four, and it really was a, a transformational book. For those people who are maybe new to this area or just simply don't know, where was that stadium? Uh, it was down on Rainier Avenue, um, and it's, uh, gosh, down would be the cross street. 
Is it where that Lowe's is yes, now? Yes, that's exactly where it is. Okay. Yes, I okay. did trying to cross street, but yes, and they actually have in Lowe's where the first plate was in the batter's box. And at that time, the stadium had to be surrounded by just homes, right? Yeah, Maybe I remember some apartment buildings but, off yeah. left field and 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 right. There was a parking lot. I remember that. But yeah, it was you know part of Billy, or excuse me, a very busy Rainier Valley. But um, it was built in 1939, and it was torn down in 1977. Wow. So there you go. That was it. Uh, let's see. Let's move on to something else that just kind of I think is kind of interesting. I want to get your guys' reaction on this. And this is very interesting. An article by Rick Riley. I read it in the Washington Post. And this has to do with a Tom Stucker. He has flown more miles than any other human being in history. 23 million so far, or 22 million more than Apollo 11. Hmm. In 1990, United Airlines offered a lifetime pass for $290,000. Stucker, he jumped at it and has lived in seat 1B ever since. He said it's the best investment of his life. They're not just good for flights. You can sell them, trade them, and win auctions with them. I'm going to say this now because I don't want to forget United doesn't offer this anymore. (laughs) So um, he said in 2019, that was his best year. He took 373 flights. He traveled 1.46 million miles. If he had bought these flights in cash, it would have cost him $2.44 million. All free. And um, again, think about it. 373 flights. There's 365 days in a year. This guy's living on that plane. Literally, yeah. He's like uh, uh, Tom Hanks in that movie, <laughs> The Terminal. Sure. <laughs> Except he's actually boarding the plane instead of just living in the airport. Absolutely. <laughs> now, he said he even parlayed his miles enough to redo his brother's house. Uh, years ago, he went to a charity auction by bidding 451,000 miles to be on a Seinfeld episode. That's the one where George. His fiance dies from licking envelopes. Oh wow! And they, Tom uh, Stucker is in the diner. Now I don't. I remember, vaguely remember the uh, episode, but now I gotta watch it. He's in the diner. So they still give him miles. Yes, <laughs> that's crazy. He made two hundred. He, the- <laughs> he made the investment until he, wow. the day he dies. He's got it. Yeah. All the way. Good for him. Um, oh, and also United Airlines has put his name on not one but two planes. He is. Our Tom Stucker customer. Nice. So some advice. Lie to the flight attendant you meet inside the door when you board. She's the head attendant. Always say, quote, I remember you gave such great service the last time. I want to thank you again. Even if you've never met her, I guarantee she'll bring you all kinds of stuff. Oh, there you go. I like it. And he also said, never check a bag. Never, ever, never and underpack. Every town has a laundromat and stores. Yep. Rick That's wise Riley. advice. I love that. So let's hear another uh, individual who responded to my question of what their favorite Seattle baseball moment was. This is Greg Witter, and my Seattle baseball moments are legion, including not just the Mariners, but my uh, my son Ryan, who played baseball for many years. But I got to say, my single most favorite memory puts a smile on my face every time I think about it. 
meeting Dave Niehaus in the middle of the Mariners' 116-win season. He uh, was a celebrity at my company's big celebration uh, in the middle of that summer. And I'm talking to Dave, and he's a great guy to chat with. And a colleague of mine comes up to say hello to Dave and explains that he lives in real Pierce County, and the new TV contract for the Mariners is such that he's not seen any of the Mariner games. And Dave then says, and we're all expecting him to say something uh, on a note of sympathy, and he says, says to my buddy Brad, all I can tell you, Brad, is you're missing some mighty fine baseball. And welcome to this edition of Spotlight on Success. I have joining me via Zoom, Vince Dice. He is editor of the Gig Harbor Now publication. We're going to learn all about that. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the industry as a whole, what's going on out in that region. I actually live out in Port Orchard, Vince, so welcome. And uh, I kind of have a personal stake in this. I'm curious what's going on out there in Gig Harbor. But first, let's welcome you. How are you doing? I am well. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Let's get right into the conversation as sort of advertised here. The newspaper industry, what's kind of going on right now in terms of uh, circulation, uh, the publication itself, and and the industry as a whole? What are some big changes that have happened, say, over the last 20 years? Well, one thing I found uh, that not everybody understands as well as those of us in the industry uh, is that the newspaper industry relied heavily on advertising mm-hmm. as a source of revenue. Most people think that the money that they pay for their subscription um, supports most of the newspaper. That was never the case. It was always advertising, both uh, classified advertising and what we used to call display advertising, which are the big full-page ads or half-page ads that you would see uh, inside the newspaper. Well, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, all of that started drying up and going away. Huh. Um, either to Craigslist or to social media or Google. So newspapers lost their main revenue source at that time. Uh, And in the intervening years, we've seen just tremendous cutbacks in the amount of uh, pages that newspapers publish and print. We've seen um, huge layoffs of uh, reporters, photographers, editors, all of that. Um, and it's kind of a, it becomes sort of a, a, a death spiral. You see there's less revenue, which leads to less reporters, which leads to less, fewer stories, which leads to less revenue. Um, so that's a major issue. Um, we've seen readership kind of splinter, whereas a publication like the News Tribune or the Seattle Times used to be the only place that anybody got information from about their local community. Now um, they find it in Facebook groups or they find it on TikTok or blogs, um, not all of which are as well vetted or edited as old style newspapers. Certainly not. Uh, and then we have the issue of corporate ownership of of these local publications, which a lot of times the corporate owners are are largely controlled by hedge funds who maybe are not as invested in their local community and, and their local um, newspaper news product as a family ownership might be. I remember back just anecdotally being a paperboy for the Seattle Times. This would be late 70s. And big part of it was you showed up at the shack, you know, and then and the first thing you had to do was open up all the papers and start stuffing the circulars in there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so you would do that uh, bright and early. And it was amazing not only how many circulars were in there, but as you said, classified ads and display ads. It, it, you'd mentioned Craigslist. Certainly that had to take a big bite out of the classified ad department. Uh, basically, over the course of just a few years, it 
uh, ended classifieds mm. as, as we used to know them. Um, it's kind of, if you're, if you're under 40, you probably don't even know what classifieds are. Uh, but uh, they were the, the page upon page of, of ads of people trying to sell their, their used car or mm-hmm. looking for a puppy or looking for a rental. I mean, we used to look for jobs in classified ads, but nobody does that anymore. Um, so yeah, that, uh, that was a major, major revenue source for newspapers that pretty abruptly ended in the um, early 2000s with the advent of Craigslist and similar. Well, and at the same time, it would seem technology comes along that with devices that you can pick up information or very similar information uh, via the internet, let's say, uh-huh. and immediate yeah. and immediate. Immediate. Yeah. And newspapers were slow to adapt to that. Um, all of us who worked there lived through it. We um, all share some uh, responsibility for it, I suppose, but yeah. we were slow to adapt to the changing atmosphere as as legacy businesses often are, I think. I think people are missing out, though, to to hold. I love the tactile feel of holding a newspaper and taking your mm-hmm. time and reading through it. Uh, it's not something I do a lot, but when I do, I remind myself how much I missed it. Why don't I do more yeah. of this, you know, uh, especially over, say, a cup of coffee or a, or a leisurely breakfast. Um, in the five minutes we have left in today's program, what sets Gig Harbor now apart from, say, what's going on on a more national basis? Why are you succeeding where maybe other publications in even larger metro markets are not? Well, we're a, first of all, we're a nonprofit. Um, so we operate just like uh, any other nonprofit. We have a board of directors. We um, are community supported. We request donations all the time. We have support from a number of significant community foundations like the Ben B. Cheney Foundation, the Stearns Family Foundation, the Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation. Um, we have significant financial support from the local Rotary in Gig Harbor. Um, and then we solicit donations, like small dollar donations from just readers, people in the community. So our support comes directly from the people who use our product. I see. Um, and we don't have the pressure to make a profit that um, the newspapers do. We uh, are just launching advertising as an option for raising money. We have experimented with some paid sponsorships, not sponsoring content, but just sponsorships where uh, they get a sponsorship banner on our website. I see. For instance, the local community college does that for our education community uh, education coverage. Um, so we're being really experimental and and open to a lot of different ideas for raising funds while um, sticking to our core journalistic principles. Yeah, that's wonderful. Radio has experienced a similar situation in that we really, particularly with younger, the younger demographics who maybe don't listen to radio on a daily basis. And so we're challenged with, okay, how do we get our great audio in front of people? You know, what Mm -hmm. is the device that they, you know, that they want to, they, they want to access us through. So uh, that's a challenge for us too. I would imagine same goes for Gig Harbor. Now your website is probably taking a large um, importance in your operation. Yeah, we uh, we don't have a print product. So our stories are all, we're a web-only product. Okay. Uh, we have a weekly email newsletter and we're active on social media and that's how we get our news out to people. Um, that, that's where people live. We have discussed the possibility of a print product at some point in the future, but um, we're we're kind of a long ways off from that. Right now we're, we're living online in the, uh, the modern ecosystem. 
So instead of contracting, it's a situation where you, as you grow, you'll add. That's the idea. Great. Yeah. Great. I think that's a smart plan. Uh, Gig Harbor, a lot of people who are listening might not be familiar with where it is. This is just north of Tacoma, correct? That's right. We're just uh, just across the Tacoma Narrows Bridge from Tacoma. Beautiful little waterfront town with um, a really rich history going all the way back to the Puyallup tribe, uh, living on the shores there, and then um, fishing history and um, a very, really vibrant downtown. Uh, great place to come in the summer. A lot of people boat over from Tacoma or Seattle and uh, spend the day hanging out in downtown Gig Harbor. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful town. Great downtown. Both Benny and I were talking about that, how we like to go down there with our families and uh, love the restaurants and things like that uh, right there. What are some of the big stories going on right now in Gig Harbor? Um, well, we've got um, a lot coming up this summer. There's a couple of major construction, parks-related construction projects that are happening. The uh, city of Gig Harbor is working on a a sports complex that's going to involve some athletic fields and mm. um, a bunch of other similar things like that for a, a community that's got a lot of young people looking for that kind of thing. Um, the Peninsula Metropolitan Parks District has a similar project with their community recreation center uh, that's on, ongoing. There's uh, a lot going on in the summer. We have a, a really great farmer's market on Thursdays. The Pierce Transit's going to start their trolley service, which uh, – they had mm. was a very active thing before COVID and then it kind of got suspended and it's going to be a little bit of a limited schedule just a couple of days a week, but it's a really popular way to get around town. Um, and then starting in July 11th, there's a, a big summer concert series that uh, is very popular. People come downtown and watch bands play along the waterfront. It's a, a lot of fun. So a lot going on this summer. Well, and if someone wants to take a trip over there and get a feel for it, firsthand. Um, how is the best way to access the information from Gig Harbor Now? Uh, we're at gigharbornow.org. Uh, that's our website. You can also, uh, at that website, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. It goes out every Friday, has all of our top headlines. Um, and we have, uh, follow us on Facebook at Gig Harbor Now, on Twitter at Gig Harbor Now, and on Instagram at Gig Harbor Now. We Technically, we have a TikTok account, but I haven't figured out TikTok yet. So, <laughs> so we're working on it. Yeah, when you figure that out, let me know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, like, like radio, it sounds to me, too, uh, it, it comes down to being live and local. It's what we yeah. what we offer to our audience is something special they can't get anywhere else. It sounds similar to what you're doing. You're offering very local information to that community and really helping enhance the community. Yeah, it's it's hyper-local news that um, nobody else is doing. Um, we I can't tell you how often we have stories that are relevant to our readership just because we show up at something that nobody else showed up at. So people really appreciate it and really respond. And um, every month we get more readers and yeah, people really respond to what we're doing. That's great. Vince, thank you so much for your time. Vince Dice, who is the editor of Gig Harbor Now. Vince, I appreciate it. And maybe we'll check in with you from time to time and find out what's going on over there in that beautiful peninsula. Absolutely. No problem at all. Hi, this is Pat Cashman. You know, everybody thinks they thought they saw the greatest play in the history of baseball. But Harold Reynolds himself confirms that this was the greatest play he ever saw because he was a part of it. And I was a part of it. I was in person at the Kingdom when this happened. The Mariners were playing the Kansas City Royals. Bo Jackson, arguably the best athlete of all time, is in left field. And uh, Harold is on first base. Harold is threatening to steal. And uh, a guy named Scott Bradley is at the plate. 
pitch comes in. Scott Bradley hits a double. It goes out into left field and bounces out to Bo Jackson. But it turns out Harold Reynolds was already going to steal the base. So he was already on his way to second base. And it's the ball is way out there in left field. Harold comes around second, but he can see the play in front of him, and he sees Bo. He hasn't even picked the ball up yet. So Harold thinks, I'm going to skate home. I'm going to win this game. It's in the 10th inning, and we will win. And Harold comes around third. What he doesn't see is that Bo picks the ball up. He's not very far from the left field fence. Bo throws the ball in the air, not with a bounce, to the catcher, Bob Boone, from the Kansas City Royals, who was standing there waiting for the ball. My memory is that Boone pretended he had his hands at his sides like, oh, this, this ball's not even coming. He, he, he fakes Harold out. In fact, the ball was coming, and it came all the way in the air. Boone caught it, tagged Harold out at the plate, game over. It's not only the greatest play I ever saw, but I couldn't believe the throw. I think it would be the equivalent of a football player quarterback throwing a ball over 100 yards for a touchdown. It was unbelievable. Only Bo could have pulled it off. I, I My mouth still drops open when I think about it. The greatest play ever, and I got to be there at the Kingdom and saw it in person. Well, Pat... Cashman, thank you for that. Uh, you did a wonderful description. It's like I was there in the kingdom watching that happen, and um, I like what you're talking about, the catcher. just kind. Of, I've seen that before, but to not to that extent where they pretend that the ball is not coming in, they're nonchalant, mm-hmm. and uh, there it is coming in. But, boy, that must have been fun. You described it so well. I wish I was there. Um, and we're going to do more of that next week. Anybody has any comments that they want to make about their favorite game in baseball, call, again, the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166, and we'll get it on the air. And Linda, I will be calling you in about 15, 20 minutes or so about the Tacoma Rainiers game tonight. Congratulations. We are out of time for today. Again, any comments you have or want to talk to us about anything you hear on the show, that number again, a million times today, 425-653-1166. Next week, we're going to just talk all of baseball in celebration of the All-Star Game in Seattle on July 11th. There's so many activities coming up at at that in this time because uh, it's it's a time for celebration. Hopefully, the Mariners will get back on track. Part two of my interview with Michael Thompson will be next week. Uh, He'll talk more about owning a baseball team and uh, what it's like to go through all the ups and downs of that. And uh, I'm going to also replay some interviews I've had over the years with Major League players like Randy Johnson. Eric, you got me that interview or our interview last year. I'm going to replay that. Great. And remember Rick the Peanut Man? Oh, yeah. Kingdom and uh, who passed away. Had an interview with him. Delightful individual. Dave Niehaus, the late Dave Niehaus, late Ido Vanny, and so much more. And I'm going to have an interview with Art Teal and Rick Allen about the Seattle Pilots. They're growing in stature every year, even though they've been gone, what, uh, how many years? 50-plus years. Right. So anyhow, that's coming up next week. Um, thank you, Eric Ryder, for today again, and to Benny for pulling this together as well. Quote of the week. 
When Babe Ruth was asked, did he think it was right that he was paid more than the President of the United States the year before, he said, yes, I had a better year. <laughs> and uh, where are we at right now? I guess we, uh, we've just used up the clock today. We've run out of time. Yeah. Like uh, baseball. So we're ready to go. I'll just do this really quickly. According to the World Atlas, the seven most beautiful cities in Washington State, Ellensburg, Leavenworth, Hallsbo, Walla Walla, Republic, Bellevue, Tacoma, Olympia, Bellingham, Port Angeles, and Winthrop. That's the World Atlas. No Seattle. Interesting. All right. We'll uh, be back next week. We'll see you soon. One Hit Wonder coming up next. This week's Timeless Classic is from an album called Careless. It became a major hit, peaking at number 11 on the U.S. Billboard Top 100. This artist was voted the best male singer in 1977 by the American Music Awards. He just released his biography, On and Off. Is that a hint? Well, let's just get to it. From 1977, On and On by Stephen Bishop. Down in Jamaica they got lots of pretty women Steal your money then they break your heart Lonesome Sue, she's in love with old Sam Taken from the fire into the frying pan on and on she just keeps on trying and she smiles when she feels like crying on and on on and on on and on oh jimmy sits alone in the moonlight saw his woman kiss another man Steals the stars from the sky Puts on Sinatra and starts to cry On and on He just keeps on trying And he smiles when he feels like crying On and on On and on On and on Well, my Keep on trying And I smile